What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. On today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast, the creator completely flopped at the box office. Uh, what will be the next comic book film to hit the billion dollar mark? Also, Gen V, the boys spinoff, debuted and it is absolutely fantastic. WandaVision, which was also fantastic, was going to have that spinoff series, Vision Quest. Well, it looks like maybe that's been pulled from development and is no longer going to happen. Also, none of us should be surprised. Hot on the heels of the Taylor Swift concert movie selling out theaters all over the world, Beyonce has announced that she's got a concert film coming as well to AMC theaters in December. And Taylor Swift was at the Sunday night football game, and that's all anybody talked about. But did that just confirm that she's in Deadpool 3? Because Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, and Sean Levy were all in the box with her. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. The John Campy Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet at the John Campy Show podcast. Coming to you from right here. In our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by Ryan Reynolds' own Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, uh, John Campy, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you on this Monday. Our international friends gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world. Movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions, but hopefully giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or even just a little bit different than ours. Uh, joining me in studio on this Monday, we got Ray Ora. Whoa, what? Jonathan Voikos here. Mondays. Writer, director, producer Robert Meyer Burnett is here. A whole nother week of fun and mirth-filled fantasticness. That. Uh, mirth-filled fantastic. That's going to be a new t-shirt. Stole the I words like that. right out of my mouth. And uh, most importantly, you guys are here. Thanks so much for joining us and making this show part of your day. Here's how it's going to go. We're going to start off by talking about all those topics I listed off. And then the last part of the show, we're going to go to our YouTube channel members, those people who are beloved supporters of ours around here. And they're going to send in a bunch of topics and questions that we're going to get through as many as we can before we end things off. Also want to remind you guys that primarily our show is a podcast. If you guys need an audio version of today's show or even our open mic show, go and find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app of choice and just search for the John Campus Show podcast and subscribe to it so that the audio podcast will be there the next time you need it. All right, guys. With all that down, let's dive into it, shall we? We're going to start off with this. You know, The Creator uh, was a film that they first previewed back in uh, April at CinemaCon and it has now come out in theaters. And listen, there's no other way to put it. You can't sugarcoat it. It completely flopped. It totally flopped. Now, on the positive side for the creator, it they made it for a ridiculously low budget, $80 million for a movie that looks five times as expensive as Fast X did, but Fast X cost $350 million to make. Absolutely remarkable. And you know what? While I disagreed with some of the early hype that it's a new sci-fi classic or one of the best of the year, I, I didn't agree with those, but I thought it was quite a good movie. I enjoyed it. And it was 
beautifully done visually. Uh, it was quite original, even though there are some tropes and, and plot lines and devices borrowed and influenced from other films, yes, but that was a really solid little movie. You guys will remember that I said when the last trailer came out, I said, look, I'm on board with this movie now. But no one's going to go see it. Because as much as I like the last trailer, really the trailers were not doing anything of any substance that were going to appeal to average moviegoers anywhere. You looked at it and it looked like an abstract piece of art hanging on some snooty friend's wall. <laughs> you know, it doesn't connect, didn't connect with anybody didn't really appeal to many people in the general movie going on. It's a lot of cinephiles got kind of excited about it, but you know, cinephiles don't make up the big lion share of the box office folks. We just don't. And the movie opened to $14 million. It opened in third place on its opening weekend behind Paw Patrol. Woo. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Paw Patrol behind Paw Patrol and Saw X came in third place, making $14 million. Now, that puts it kind of in line with some other recent sci-fi kind of floppings. Take Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Uh, this movie made $17 million on its opening weekend. Big spectacle sci-fi thing. I mean, I, was, I remember being at the premiere walking out and going, that was terrible. It, it was terrible. Uh, but and again, only made $17 million. Or remember Peter Jackson Returns. Producing Mortal Engines. Yeah, well, that movie made like $7.5 million on its opening weekend. Or Big Willie, Will Smith, had his Gemini Man, where it's Will Smith versus Will Smith. <laughs> that movie only managed to make $20 bucks on its opening weekend. There, there's a, a, a little bit of a pattern here, to say the least. Anyway, Rob, you know, I, I quite enjoyed The Crater. I'm not going to say I loved it. I, I didn't love it passionately, but I thought it was quite solid, quite a good movie, visually stunning. And really, for an $80 million movie, blown away by what they did with the visual effects. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all it didn't make any money. I thought it deserved to make more money for what it was. What do you think about the box office results? Can it be defined as a flop? Because I think it needs to make like $180 million to break even after you take into account theaters cuts and marketing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and and what did you think of the movie overall? Well, first of all, I've seen the movie twice and I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was good, but it it was not great for me. And and I, I, I took Elizabeth to it yesterday and she really loved it. But I realized when I was sitting there the second time I saw it, like you said in your review, it's beautifully done. But you know what it's missing? The tone of the movie for me, having seen it twice, is very monotone. Oh, I thought you were going to say dinosaurs. No, no, no. <laughs> Ninjas. It was very, it was very, it was very monotone. Like it started out with a certain like, okay, we're going on a mission. But that mission never seemed very urgent, even though they broke into this base and there's all this sturm and drang that's happening. What it really needed was it needed Roy Batty to come out at the end, like in Blade Runner, and say, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. You know, it never, like, you're, you cry because there's a kid involved. But I never felt it. I didn't feel, and, and I think another thing that the movie, the movie didn't do was it didn't really have much opining on what does our future coexisting with AI mean? Well, to take that a little bit further, one of the things that I said coming out of it was, this movie isn't really even about AI. It's really not about AI. 
AI is actually just a metaphor for our own human conditions and the, the right. problems I mean, we create for ourselves. Yeah, and you could call the the AI could have been immigrants. Yeah, I mean, yes. you could have. Yes, and, and for me, it really didn't have anything. Great science fiction tries to make sense of of our confused state of knowledge. To paraphrase paraphrase Brian Aldiss, in our technologically advanced state, what does it all mean? And this this movie didn't offer any. It gave us a bunch of sci-fi stuff happening, but it didn't offer any insight, really, that we haven't already received from a bunch of other things. And I think the other thing that killed it was the title. I understand why it was called The Creator, the most generic. Title. It, 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 it's a title. There's a movie called Creator from the 80s that starred like Vincent Spano and Victoria, uh, uh, Virginia Madsen and Peter O'Toole that not many people remember. But I'm like, what does this mean? And even the title doesn't refer back to anything necessarily philosophically. It's a plot point, but it really doesn't mean anything. Remember when I said that the, the trailers kind of made it look like an abstract painting hanging on your snobby friend's wall? The title did that too. Absolutely. Like this is an art piece. But I will say this. I'll tell you the one thing that I was sitting there thinking the entire time. This is totally random. But, you know, they've been trying to make an Akira movie forever yeah, for many and years. i'm looking at this with all the design work that they're showing and all this stuff i'm like this is like a trial run for gareth edwards to do akira because you know if they, they announced more gareth edwards is going to do akira i would be very excited uh, about all this I, I felt that way because all the like the things that the doors that opened up like into the, i'm like this looks like akira yeah. and the fact that they went and they can just go now shoot it was so beautifully done because they put in all the effects i mean they do it later anyway but the way they just went out and shot live action in southeast asia they didn't have to worry about things they could just shoot where they wanted get the best shots ever and we'll put everything in later the design work was amazing i kept waiting for canada canada and tetsuo to show up and some you know fools to get on motorcycles the the the, the jokers and the well it feels kind of like an anime like it, it feels the, the movie itself feels very anime influenced it totally was and it tried to have the heart but it didn't have the philosophy that a lot of great anime has all right guys with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? What is, in fact, going to be the next billion-dollar comic book film? we got a few coming up quickly, and that is the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, guys, if you've got a question for our show and you'd like to hear your voice on it, go ahead and call our Mint Mobile hotline anytime, 24-7, at 951-268-4259. And again, today's question revolves around, what's the next billion-dollar film for the comic book genre? Check it out. Hey, John. This is Lewis from the Port City, North Carolina. With Captain Marvel and Aquaman coming, both of those movies originally made over a billion dollars, and it's unlikely that the sequels will reach that amount. My question is to you, what do you think of the next billion-dollar comic book movie? My pick would be The Avengers, but I'm curious your thoughts. Bring on the filthy. All right, Lewis. Thanks a lot for calling that in. And, yeah, we've got a, a long list of of comic book movies coming out and, you know, kind of Marvel set an unrealistic standard, right? Marvel was so good that it just kind of became, Oh, another comic book movie hit a billion dollars. Well, another MCU movie hit a billion dollars. All right. It's Tuesday, right? They just seem to start cranking them out a bunch. And it made us forget that a movie hitting a billion dollars is a very rare and a very special thing. 
and they kind of change the things. Now, lately, we haven't seen comic book movies hitting the billion-dollar mark, at least not with the frequency that we have. I think the last one to hit a billion dollars was Joker, the last one to hit a billion dollars. Spider-Man, No Way Home. Spider-Man, No Way Home. That's it. That was the last one to do it. So let's take a look at a list of the upcoming movies and see what the chances are that those will as we jump into the classroom. All right, Marvels. Listen, just going to say this. Nobody thought Ms. Marvel was going to make a billion dollars. I think maybe except for Robert Meyer Burnett. If I remember correctly. I did say that. I think Robert Meyer Burnett may have been the only person I knew who was <laughs> predicting before that movie ever came out that the Mar- Ms. Marvel or Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel. Say, would make a billion dollars. So I don't think this one will. I'll, nobody thinks this one will. No. I am going to give it a higher than you might think. 20% chance that it does. That's only a one in five. So most likely won't. I'm just saying we all made the mistake of underestimating this character before. So that's why I'm going to go as high as 20. Rob, what would, would you go over or under 20% that it gets? Under. I'm going to go gonna, 10. 10. Especially because I saw the trailer in front of the creator twice. Yeah, it's they, like, they put a new trailer. In front there was a new trailer. And I'm looking at this trailer. And I'm like, while it tells us more, it looks to me like this is a half an hour of story. Mm. It looked like an episode of a TV show. Well, it is going to be the shortest MCU film ever at an hour and 45 minutes. So see how that goes. All right. So it's probably not going to be the Marvels. Then we got Aquaman 2. Again, the last movie did make a billion dollars. I think that shocked everybody. I mean, Jason Momoa and his wildest wet dreams, I don't think ever thought the first Aquaman was going to make a billion dollars. But it did. Wet dreams. I see what you did That's there. That's how you caught what I did there? All right. I'm clever. <laughs> so maybe not as much as I think. So Aquaman 2 is coming out. I listen, I, I hate doing it because I really like Jason Momoa. I got to give it no more than a 5% chance. Listen, no DC film has made, no DCEU film in the past five years has made more than 400 million. The audience has simply abandoned the DCEU. Now you add on top of that, some off camera behind the scenes, you know, controversy and stuff like that. I just don't, listen, I think they got to be thrilled if Aquaman makes 500 million. I think if they make $500 million, I think they got to take that as a big win. I don't know, Rob, what chances do you see Aquaman getting to a billion? Well, here's the thing. We've heard that the movies had test screenings and it didn't test well and all that stuff. However, I would say this. James Wan is a very capable filmmaker. I He's think wonderful. the movie was bonkers. I think this is the last Hail Mary of the, uh, of the Snyderverse-derived DC universe. I think that if they pull out some kind of crazy, over-the-top, maniacal... Uh, action fantasy explosion. You know, if I feel like I'm five years old and had too much cotton candy when I watch this, I think maybe it could do better. So I'm I'm going to give it, I'm going to say, I don't think it's going to make a billion dollars. Let me just flat out say that. However, if I have to rank it, I'm going to go 25%. You're going to go 25 so only because shot. Only because I don't, I have no sense of this, and I think this movie's insane. And if it's, I when we went into the first movie, Crazy I couldn't insane. believe how... So this movie is either going to make a billion dollars or it's going to way underperform. It's not going to make like. So it's not going to make 850. It's going to make no. like 375 yes. or a billion. Yes. It's I either going to be over the top or it's going to crash and burn, Mav. All right. Crash let's, and burn. Let's get on to this one here. Madam Web, which I got to tell you, I, I was like most people when they announced it and said, why? What, why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? But when make reports started. Coming out, first of all, of the casting. And then reports started coming out about what the story might be. I have to admit, I started to become kind of fascinated by the idea of the movie. 
Fascinated or not, though, I'm going to give Madam Webb's chances the first big fat goose egg. There's no chance in the world. There's zero chance in the galaxy that this movie gets anywhere close to a billion dollars. I think there's a chance it could be good, but it ain't getting a billion dollars. I don't know. Rob, what do you think? Who's making this movie? Oh, yeah, that's right. There's what? What? There's a Madam Web movie. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm i with you. Zero. A zero percent chance. Uh, and, and look, uh, again, I don't know why or how they've made this movie or even that they did make this movie. I they feel did, the way the way Chris Carr felt about The Flash, I feel about this movie. But there, there's no way. I don't care if it's Gone with the Wind meets Casablanca meets the Shawshank Redemption meets Star Wars. Zero chance. Yeah, I agree. It could be the greatest comic book film of all time. Then maybe the sequel could make a billion, but this one ain't. Nope. All right. Let's move on to this one here. My most anticipated movie ever. Well, maybe not ever, but certainly right now, Deadpool 3. I Look, I'm not going to, I'm just going to get right to it. It's 90% chance. I think there there is a chance it doesn't. There's a possibility it doesn't. But... I think all the smart money has to be put on that it does. I mean, not only did the previous two Deadpools outside of the MCU both go over $700 million each, they sit as the number three and number four all-time highest-grossing R-rated films in the history of cinema. You add into the fact that it's been gone for a few years, it's now coming into the MCU, and they're freaking bringing back Hugh Jackman as Wolverine for one last ride. I mean, I just don't see a big chance that it doesn't. So to answer the question, what's the next one? I think the next one is going to be Deadpool 3. I think that's the one. Again, there is a chance it doesn't, but I'm going to set it at 90%. Rob, what do you think? John, because you're a poker playing man, this is where I go all in. <laughs> I like 100%. it. 100%. 100%. Maybe we'll talk about why. I, I, I if, if, if Friday I was at 90%, I'm now 100%. And I have a reason, which we're going to talk about because it's an upcoming topic, but it's going to be a hundred percent that this movie is going to make a billion dollars. So really, we have we have just answered the question then. The next billion dollar film is most likely, I think, going to be Deadpool. Rob and I both agree it's going to be Deadpool 3. Let's just quickly go over some of the other ones. We're going to go through this fairly quick here. Venom 3. I'm a fan of the Venom franchise, but none of the other ones have made a billion. The second one made less than the first one. Not a very, I mean... It's possible, not a good chance. Captain America, Brave New World. We've come to see Sam's Captain America as a TV character. I I, I just don't see this one being in a billion dollar Unless film. it's great, you know, really. But. I think even if it's great, I think that sets it up that his next film maybe could be a billion. I, I just don't know if this one could. Uh, Craven the Hunter, I think we all agree. Look, I'm fascinated by it. I like the trailer they showed us at CinemaCon. It ain't making a billion dollars. It's not going to make $700 million, but who, who knows? We'll see what happens. Joker Folia Du. I mean, the first one made a billion. You're adding Lady Gaga to this one. I, I won't say as, as high as Deadpool 3, but I think there's a solid chance. Solid chance. If it's great. If it's great. All right. Thunderbolts, a lot of B-lister character stuff like that. I am fascinated by this. I'm actually quite excited about Thunderbolts, to be honest with you. Not going to make a billion dollars. Ray, what are the chances that Blade makes a billion dollars? In theory, zero. It doesn't matter what. No, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Zero percent. But here's, yeah, because there's a trick. It's a trick question, way because a movie's got to actually get made yeah. and come out in theaters for it to That's make why I said in theory, like theoretical in theory, movie. Zero chance. <laughs> uh, Fantastic Four. I hear a lot of people saying Fantastic Four will be a billion dollar film. Based on what? 
Based on what? The comic book sold so low, they canceled it twice. Uh, they made other movie iterations. Granted, they weren't good, but they never came anywhere close to that. I Like, Rob, I hear a lot of people saying Fantastic Four. There's good reason to be excited about it. But I don't personally see any evidence whatsoever that would convince me that Fantastic Four, granted, this is said long before we officially know casting or trailers or anything like that, but comics haven't been tremendously successful in the last 20 years. Uh, the movies have all kind of flopped. What is the chance that a Fantastic Four movie could come out and be a billion-dollar film, do you think? Zero. Really? You're going to even lower than me. Zero. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it, you know why? Because inherently... The Fantastic Four, I don't think has let's call it a cool factor. Yep. That it's it's I, that I don't think it has. I don't think the property has. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it could could be a billion dollar movie. All right, we're gonna go into Superman Legacy. You guys know my thoughts on this. The DC is now in a rehabilitation stage. It's gonna take a while. They got to rebuild trust with the audience, rebuild trust with the theaters, and Superman Legacy. It's got to be awesome, but even if it's awesome, I don't think it's going to do great at the box office because it's going to take them time to rehabilitate and get that the audience back on board. I'm going to say like five percent. Rob, what do you think? Here's the thing: this is gonna, you're going to see. Think of me as being insane by saying this. I think that James Gunn's entire career and his entire sensibility has been honed. To make this movie. It's been all about this moment. I think I think that he and people are gonna say I'm crazy. Like, how can you say this? <laughs> I think I think that we're going to get a classic, one for the ages, that combines the kind of sweeping Americana that we got in the first half an hour of or the first 45 minutes of Richard Donner's Superman with the distillation of the kind of wild entertainment that he brought to us with the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy with the kind of heart that you would see in a lot of the way he can make you sympathize with King shark, looking at a couple kissing yep. that sensibility. You take all of the things that James Gunn has been able to do. And everyone's like, but Rob, he's made all these crazy movies. I'm like, I understand even the darkness that he has in his novel, the toy collector. I think this is going to be one for the ages. Now, I don't know if it's going to make a billion dollars, but he also has the enormous pressure. I've heard that the script is good. I think this is going to be the one that a lot, and a lot of people, I'm going to get roasted on Twitter for saying this, but I don't care, John. I'm going all in on this one too. And I don't know if it's going to make a billion, but I think it's going to be the superhero movie that is going to surprise a lot of people. And it, if you it, can equate something to have the, the, the power of Rudy, <laughs> the, the, the hope of the Shawshank Redemption, you know, and I don't know. I'm going too far, but you know what I'm saying. I think. Listen, I, I don't think it's it's hyperbole to say it better be one of the best things he's ever done. It has to be. If you're going to get people back on board of the DCU, it's got to be that level that you're yeah. describing. All right. Then we look at the Batman two. I, I don't think this is going to make a billion dollars. I think it's going to be again very successful. Mm, <laughs> Sorry, Matt. But like it, it's. I mean, the first one made, what, 700 and something yeah. in that neighborhood, right? And I think it can make as much, even a little bit more. But I think that's its neighborhood. I think it's going to be really successful at that. I, I don't see it making a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, even 800 would be stellar. Yeah, I th absolutely. Absolutely would. And then you get into Avengers, Kang Dynasty, and Secret Wars. Okay, look. I'm going to say something a lot of people might think I'm crazy. 
I don't think Kang Dynasty is going to make a billion dollars. I don't think Kang Dynasty is going to make a billion dollars. Why? Because unlike in, uh, Infinity War and Endgame and even Age of Ultron and the first Avengers movie, the MCU was always on a momentum roll going into those Avengers films. High anticipation, high excitement. The quality of the product was great. The quality of the product has not been great overall. There have been great things, but overall the quality of the product of the MCU has not been great overall. And I think there's going to be a real lack of momentum going into Kang Dynasty. Now, Secret Wars, different thing. I think Secret Wars... I'll right now, years in advance, say that's going to be a billion-dollar film. But I'm going to give it a 49% chance that Kang Dynasty actually gets to a billion. I'm going to go, I'm going to say it's, I don't think it will. I don't know, Rob, am I insane for saying that? No, because, John, there are no Avengers. As of right now. I, I, I mean, <laughs> uh, you're, you're like, Avengers, movie. Kang Dynasty, <laughs> Avengers, Secret Wars, who would those be? Who are, what Avengers? We're, we're, we're into phase five. Hulk's bull haircutted, you know, I, Nick I, shirt wearing son. I mean, they're going to bring what it's together? It's the Avengers. Uh, yeah, the Avengers. 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 <laughs> they have no gravitas. There's no team. There's no one. I mean, even Nick Fury saves the world from an alien invasion by himself. I mean, who are the Avengers? I don't know. And until we have an Avengers team, I would say the Earth is going to lose to Kang. And the secret wars are, are, are going to be fought and whoever, whatever's left. I mean, and it's silly to say that, but they've got these two movies that they've announced and no one knows who the Avengers team is. How do they do this? This is, this is by the way, the problem with the entire MCU. There's no more cohesion. No one knows where this is going. There's no direction. And we're all more excited about a Deadpool Wolverine movie. I, I, see, I agree that that's a problem. I think the bigger problem that MCU has had is that their movies just haven't been as good. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of hurts too. So there, there, so all that to say, we think the next billion dollar comic book film is going to be Deadpool. And then barring that, maybe not until secret wars. I mean, it, it seems weird to say like two, can you imagine saying that three years ago that we might have to go like a number of years before we're going to get the next billion dollar comic book film. I, it, un, unbelievable to me. All right. Guys, with that down, we spent a little bit of time on that. Let's move on to this, shall we? Gen V, the spinoff of the highly successful, highly remarkable Amazon Prime show, The Boys, debuted uh, just prior to the weekend and dropped their first three episodes. Now, I love The Boys. Like, I, I just can't believe how much I love that show. And it's got the veneer the outer shell, candy shell of this gory, raunchy, filthy, in all the best ways, kind of, you know, a juvenile show, but with Shakespearean guts inside of it. I love it. So I've been looking forward to a spinoff, Gen V, but my expectations, I just thought, look, as long as it's good, I'll be happy. First three episodes dropped, and reviews have been like this one here. Uh, Gen V review, uh, this uh, teen spinoff from The Boys is extraordinary. And you know what? It is. I watched the first three episodes planning to watch the first one and then catch up with the rest a little bit later, and I could not stop watching. As a matter of fact, you know, Rob and I were talking before the show started, and what I told him was, this is how good Gen V is. Take all the superpowers and all the comic booky stuff out of the show. This is still 
like an HBO quality level show with fleshed out characters with all with their own individual motivations, each one of the characters having their own flaws and weaknesses that they bring to the table that actually touches on a lot of things that are relevant in culture and society today. And a lot of things that even those of us who are no longer college age, these are superpowered beings. There's a girl who can use blood to cut people in half. But I'm watching this and I'm thinking, I was either faced many of these issues or surrounded by people who were facing these issues. They did an insane thing of taking this raunchy, superpowered show and making it incredibly dramatic and feel grounded in the same way. Rob, I'm telling you, to me, Gen V is a remarkable accomplishment. I'm not saying it's The Last of Us. I'm not saying it's House of the Dragon. But what they're able to do with this is more than a worthy extension of what The Boys has been. What did you think about it? John, like I was telling you, I I, uh, I did my Midnight Musings YouTube show on Friday night. You know, it's over at midnight. And people told me on the show that this had dropped. I didn't know it dropped. And I'm like, okay, I'll just dip in. I'll just dip my toe and sample <laughs> sample a little Gen V. I watched all three episodes to like 3.30, close to 4 in the morning. I love this show. I love the characters. I It was surprising. Do you know, there, I thought this show loves its characters. There's such empathy, and all of the characters earned my affection. You know, they've all got their different foibles. Yeah, they gave you this great, shocking, very boys-esque opening where you're like, oh, my God. But our main character is terrific. I loved the Clancy Brown character and the way they used him. Oh, me too. And and all of the world building and the way they tied it in. But what this show has, and I think what, for all of it's just in your face, horrible, like like the way they desecrate the human body all the time on this (laughs) show. Constantly. I mean, mean, there is such (laughs) empathy for these characters. I mean, genuine empathy. It kind of reminded me how everyone. So many TV writers are trying to emulate Buffy the Vampire Slayer 20 years later. Right. You know, they try and bring that sensibility to Star Trek. It never works. They've they've done it here, and it's Eric Kripke and his writing staff have to get all of the the kudos for this. Supernatural guy, by the way. I know. And it's 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 so really beautifully done. I was so invested in three, and they've got a great mystery. They're overarching whatever the mythology is. It fits in with the world of the boys. And I, th- I think it, uh, it was just terrific. I can't wait to see the next. I was bummed out when it was over. Me too. I was like, you know, oh, please let me be more than a week behind so there's another episode. Yeah, dude, I, I was like waiting. And, you know, I didn't know how many episodes I didn't look into it. But when the first episode was over and you see the next episode begins, I'm like, oh. And when I got to the, the third episode, I'm like, oh. You know, so I stayed up to watch. And then it was. I got excited because at the end of the third episode, it says up next episode four. I'm like, yeah. oh, it's just a preview. For yeah, it went, to, it went to the episode zero you know, to show you that coming on this season of Gen B. One of the things I loved about it, remember Chronicle. One of the things that I loved about Chronicle was that, I remember a lot of people talking about this, was like, hey, you know what? If people that age actually got superpowers, Chronicle actually showed us what they would actually do with it, right? right? And as I watch, I'm watching Gen V and I had the Chronicle kind of flashback. I'll give you one quick example. This is this has nothing to do with the plot of the show. 
But speaking of the connection, there's so many supernatural connections with this show and the show Supernatural, obviously because of the showrunner. But the kid, uh, the kid who's basically played the character who ends up as God in uh, Supernatural, he pops up in it and he said something really hurtful to this girl who's got mind control powers. And she does exactly what actually a girl in college would do. She says, go buy a baseball bat, hit yourself in the balls every half hour. And when you do, yell Jumanji. And it's like, that is actually what somebody, a girl in college would do if she had that power. And it just felt very real, which made it all the more enjoyable. And you know what I really liked about it? Like that when that character is introduced, it, it, I thought, oh, she's just going to be like the typical mean girl. Yes. You know, the hot blonde that's just a bitchy. And she wasn't. You know, she turned out to be very sympathetic. And by the end of those three episodes, you really liked the, this whole quote unquote team of characters. You, you liked them all. And they were all sympathetic and you had empathy for them. And it wasn't just over the top snark, which is one of the things I worried about with this show. Me too. And it's a wonderful program. I mean, as far as, you know, blowing up your kid or your parents. <laughs> but like all the characters, even blood. our main hero, even our main hero in the show, they don't just make them multidimensional by, oh, they're flawed. They made a mistake. No, no, no. Like sometimes she makes selfish decisions. Yep. Sometimes she does things they're like, oh, don't do that. But that's what real people do. You know who actually ended up being, my, I think, my favorite character of the first three episodes? Cricket. Oh, she's great. When, when at first I thought, like you were saying about the blonde, like this is going to be the stereotypical college roommate who's not really. I fell in love with Cricket. I loved her, especially when her mom comes into it and you start to get a sense of her real pain and her damage. And I, I just, I love this show. And I cannot uh, wait for next I, I will say this, John. I mean- uh, they showed me something on television I've never seen before, and it's a intimate moment with her that I my jaw hit the floor. Oh, dude, Anne, I, I could Anne was not... laughing her ass. We won't say what it is, but Anne was laughing her ass off at this moment of intimacy. That is, just... and then I'll tell you something. At the time, I didn't realize that was setting up a joke, and the punchline, so the punchline that plays out later, slayed me. Slayed uh... me. I, I love this show. I cannot wait to see where it goes. It's off to a great start. Will it continue that great start or will it be like a Disney Plus show that often starts strong and finishes ass week? I don't know, but I'm dying to find out. All right, guys, listen. We still have a bunch more things to talk about. It, it looks like Vision Quest, the WandaVision spinoff, might no longer be in the plans for Disney. They may have canceled that. A Beyonce concert documentary Kind of hot on the heels of the Taylor Swift one is coming to AMC theaters. Speaking of Taylor Swift, it's looking more and more likely that she is going to be in Deadpool 3 if Sunday Night Football game has anything to say about it. But before we get to those things, we're going to take a quick second and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode, our friends at Vessi and HelloFresh. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Vessi. Now, you guys know I'm not exactly the most fashion-conscious guy in the world, but I love a great pair of shoes that are comfortable and I can wear almost anywhere. And growing up in Canadian winters when my feet got wet a lot, waterproof would be nice too. Enter Vessi. They make the claim that they're not just fashionable and super comfortable, they're also waterproof. Now, you guys remember, when I got my first pair of Vessis, I put them to the ultimate waterproof test. I actually stuck my foot in my pool, my feet stayed dry, and the shoes stayed dry. Incredible. And they're the most comfortable pair of shoes I ever owned. Well, that made me want another pair. So I got another pair of Vessis that look great and just equal that world-class comfort that I got from that first pair of shoes. They are absolutely my favorite shoes that I've ever owned. 
Imagine your favorite sneaker style supercharged with waterproof technology and unmatched comfort. No matter how you like to stay active, Vessi has the shoes for you. Trail-ready high tops, effortless slip-ons, and classic court shoes, all with a waterproof twist. They are just as comfortable and stylish as your favorite sneakers, but even more versatile. So if you're like me and you want good-looking shoes that are ready for anything rain or shine, make sure you go to Vessi.com slash Campia and get yourself a pair today. Go to Vessi.com dot com slash campia and get shoes for your best summer yet guys we want to thank a sponsor of this video hello fresh with hello fresh you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep skip trips to the grocery store and count on hello fresh to make home cooking easy fun and affordable that's why it's america's number one meal kit kickstart a fresh fall routine with hello fresh hello fresh handles all the meal planning and shopping to deliver everything you need to cook up a tasty meal right at home they do the hard part and you get to take the credit hello fresh takes the stress out of mealtime by delivering fresh ingredients and easy recipes right to your door. So this fall, skip that extra trip to the grocery store and have dinner ready in no time with America's number one meal kit. Like we've mentioned before, Ann and I are both working professionals and mealtime is sometimes a bit stressful. That's why we absolutely love HelloFresh. It's nutritious, it's delicious, and we actually have a really good time making dinner together. So guys, go to HelloFresh.com slash 50 Campia and use the code 50 Campia for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50Campia and use the code 50Campia. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. And thank you to our friends at Vessi and HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode of the John Campy Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's get on to this, shall we? WandaVision was Absolutely amazing. I still think the best thing Disney Plus has ever done. And they were supposed to have, they talked about they were going to do this Vision Quest spinoff series. But unfortunately, it kind of looks like those plans may be gone. Now, many of you guys will remember that, of course, the end of WandaVision, we got a new version of Vision, White Vision, as everybody called him. And it ends with him flying off and away. And we all wondered, well, I wonder when he's going to come back. Maybe he's out hanging out on the moon with the real Steve Rogers or whatever it's going to do. And then word quickly came out that the showrunner and creators, they were actually working on a white vision series that was going to be called vision quest. Well, unfortunately uh, it may look now like that whole plan uh, may be gone as it's coming out. Now this is being reported on screen rant at the moment that the creators of the show and the writers have taken vision quest off their dockets. Uh, it says this, in a post via Twitter slash X, the Scarlet Witch updates profile via Scarlet Witch UPD writes, uh, shared some concerning shots of Vision Quest creator Jack Schaefer's WGA profile, as well as that is Aline Shim, one of the show's writers. In both screenshots, it appears though Vision Quest has been removed from their profiles, begging the question as to why. And then it goes in and it shows their various profiles now, these profiles, it needs to be noted, did have Vision Quest on them before. And now they're gone. And lest you think that maybe the profiles just aren't up to date, they have updated their working on Agatha, the Darkhold Diaries, with the new title. Because remember, it was called, what was it called before? Uh, it was called Agatha? Oh, Covenant, Covenant, Covenant of, uh, Covenant of okay, Chaos. Chaos. That's yeah. right. And so they have updated it now to Darkhold Diaries, and it looks like this is gone. Rob, it's not a new thing in the world of movies or television for a project to be in the development phase 
for an intention to be there to do a show or a movie. And then it just comes off the burner, right? They just don't work on it. They don't uh, develop it any further. I think, though, it's more than just that here. I think Vision Quest may be the first tangible uh, collateral damage of Disney CEO Bob Iger coming out and saying, we've just put out too much MCU stuff, and especially on Disney+. Plus, Because you guys remember that Bob Iger said that, yeah, the, all the Disney stuff, the glut of stuff that we put on Disney+, Plus has diluted, he said, the quality of the MCU. And I think most of us agree with him on that. I don't think, you know, he, Disney Plus is Bob Iger's brainchild, but I don't think he envisioned it into what Bob Chapek started turning into, which was just a pump and dump thing for cranking out as much MCU product as possible. And I think this might be a direct consequence of that. Rob, while I love the idea of a WandaVision kind of continuation spinoff, I like the White Vision character. And I love Paul playing the role. Like, absolutely. And I hope we see him pop up in future MCU projects. I'm going to admit I'm not going to lose any sleep over the idea of not getting a Vision Quest show. It sounds like it would be a nice thing, but is that something they really need to be pouring their resources into right now? What do you feel about this and what do you think led to its demise? Well, I think that, honestly, I don't think Vision is necessarily, I thought that Paul Bettany, he, Paul Bettany is a great actor. He's wonderful. But the character of Vision, I don't think necessarily is a leading character. Paul Bettany's a leading man, can be a leading man. But within the MCU is currently established. I mean, I've always loved Vision. It's one of my favorite MCU translations of a character from the page to the screen. But I just, what is this show going to be about and why should I watch it? Mm. And uh, again, Vision, I like Vision as a member of the Avengers. And once again, by getting rid of this Vision Quest storyline, that's just one more Avenger taken off the... Like, where's where's he gone? I don't know. I mean, if they had a great story, I would say, bring it on. I'll watch anything. You can change my mind by giving me a great story. I think maybe they thought whatever they'd come up with was not as strong as it should have been. And, I mean, no one said anything. We have no official announcement at all about this. So I'll be curious to see where that all goes, if they have an explanation. I love the Vision character as portrayed by Bettany. I love the way he looks. I have both hot toys. The white of hot course toy you and do. the regular one. And uh, I just, I, 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 I'm kind of bummed, but on the other hand, I understand. You know, it, and you also got to ask the question, because just because Vision Quest doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen, that doesn't mean he can't pop up in something else in time for like Avengers, right? But then that brings up the issue about, but where does a white Vision show up? I don't think he shows up in the Marvels. What's the connection to have him showing up in Blade? You know, I just don't see the project that the MCU has lined up between now and when Kang Dynasty is supposed to start that you reintroduce White Vision. So I, I don't know if he's in the plans anymore. I don't either. All right, guys, with that down, let's talk about this, shall we? It's official. Beyonce has her own concert documentary style movie called, I think it's called Renaissance. It's coming to AMC Theaters Starting December 1st. Now, of course, you guys remember just a number of weeks ago, they announced that Taylor Swift was going to have her Eras tour filmed. It was filmed and it was going to play in theaters. And all of a sudden, all the movie theaters sold out. I mean, this thing's going to make over $100 million on its opening weekend. A concert film. 
And the discussion then came up quickly. A lot of people wrote in and asked questions, uh, good questions about, hey, if this can be a new thing, inexpensive thing that theaters can take, put in their theaters and have the audiences come, buy tickets, buy concession stands, do you think this will be a new trend? To which I always say, the problem with that is there's only one Taylor Swift. I don't know that there's many artists out there that can sell out $100 million in movie theater tickets. And I would always say, with the maybe the exception of Beyonce, she might be the only other one who could come close to that. Now, just for the record, I think Beyonce is better than Taylor Swift. I think Beyonce, all due respect to all the Madonna fans out there, I think Beyonce is the greatest solo female <laughs> artist of all time. That's just me. I think there's a lot of good arguments to be had about that, about other artists, for sure, from different eras as well. But I, I personally think she is like show business personified. Uh, everything about her is magnetic. I mean, she's just incredible. I don't think she can sell the same amount of tickets that Taylor Swift did. But if anybody else can come close, I think it's her. Now, it's interesting. I was reading the story, and this Renaissance movie is going to be a little bit different than the era's film that's playing because the era's film is basically one concert that was played at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Beyonce's Renaissance is like a documentary film covering her whole tour from the first show to the last show that they played in AMC Theater's home city, actually Kansas. And that whole thing in between. So I'm sure 90% of it is going to be concert footage, but there's going to be a little bit more of a documentary style thing in there. Rob, I think this is, listen, I think if anybody else can do this Taylor Swift thing, it's Beyonce. She's the one that, that can maybe pull it off. I don't know if there's anybody else that really can. Do you think that this can sell as many tickets as, say, Taylor Swift has? Do you think that if this is, is successful, that maybe, you know, other producers start going, well, let's talk to Bad Bunny. Or let's make one about U2's residency at the new MGM Sphere in Vegas that the whole world is blowing up about. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about this? Well, here's the thing. I Like you, I agree with you about Beyonce. I mean, she's a queen. She is show business personified. But to use a metaphor, like she's a goddess. Yeah. That she exists on a heavenly plane. <laughs> where Taylor Swift is a demigoddess who comes down amongst the people. Like she's the kind of girl that, I mean, she's amazing. Her business acumen is beyond reproach, but she's the kind of girl that would like say, have a, a, a pool party for her friends Yeah, and, and invite all the neighborhood. I would just, just for the record, I would go to Beyonce's pool party if she happened to invite me. Just uh, I, but see, I just don't think I could ever exist in, in the, in, in the goddess realm that, right. that Beyonce exists in. Whereas Taylor Swift, I might somewhat know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that might get me into her pool party. Right. Where I don't think I know anybody that could bring me up to Mount Olympus where Beyonce <laughs> lives, if that makes any sense. So Taylor Swift is like essentially in, in Lord of the Rings lore. She'd be like the wizards that came down, right? Like Gandalf. And yeah, man, yeah. One but of the like, starry... but like Beyonce yep. is the almighty like creator yeah. of Middle Earth and. Yeah, or yeah, I mean, you know, who, who brought forth life through music? That, <laughs> yeah, I'm a nerd. Yes, she's one of the people that Beyonce's one of the people that created Middle Earth. But like Taylor <laughs> Swift is like Kate Blanchett, who will come up to you and and say, "This is the light I'm giving you for the time when the darkness surrounds you." But here's the, but here comes the ultimate question, though. Okay, <laughs> it looks like Taylor Swift's thing in theaters 
is probably going to have a $100 million opening weekend. Some places are projecting like 125. I'm on record saying I think you can go even higher than that. Can Beyonce's Renaissance tour movie, can it do those kinds of numbers or can it just do really well but not quite $100 million opening I, weekend? I think that, that, first of all, Taylor Swift is having her moment on this era's tour. And I think it's because Taylor Swift's your friend. You know, if I was a 12-year-old girl, there'd be a possibility that Taylor Swift could be on my speed dial. Right. You know, that somehow I might get to know her. Whereas, you know, Beyonce, I don't get me wrong, I'd love to hang out with Beyonce and Jay-Z. I mean, it would be a lot of fun to, to do that. <laughs> um, I'd probably want to sing Numb with Jay-Z all the time, you know. <laughs> they'd ask but, me to leave, though. Yeah, they'd ask me to leave. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, no, but I think that's the whole, I think Taylor Swift's appeal is she's like the every girl made good kind of thing whereas Beyonce and by the way Beyonce has been cool for a long time oh yeah I mean she has had multiple phases in her career too yeah go all the way back to Destiny's Child yeah it's like she's been the hottest thing in the world for a long time see maybe maybe Destiny's Child because that way I like I believe I could maybe get to a Destiny's Child party but I don't think I could go to a Beyonce party Beyonce did the impromptu Destiny's Child reunion at the Super Bowl yeah that was actually pretty cool it was awesome that was awesome. All right, guys. With that down, uh, let's continue the conversation on with this. Speaking of Taylor Swift, look, there has been a lot of rumors going around that Taylor Swift may actually be in Deadpool 3. Rumors that, quite frankly, and, and to be honest, I kind of rejected. I rejected those out of hand. I didn't really believe. Now, yeah, Taylor's kind of like besties, besties with Ryan Reynolds' wife, Blake Lively. And like, okay, yeah, yeah. But I didn't really think she'd be in there. And by the way, putting Taylor Swift in a movie does not equate to box office. No. She was in Cats. <laughs> How'd that do? She was in Amsterdam. How'd that do? Not Taylor Swift's fault, but it's not like that turned the tide of everything. Well, she has, of course, been in the news a lot lately, not just because she's had all top 10 spots on the Billboard top 10 spot, which has never been done before, by the way. Not only because her Eras Tour is now the highest grossing by double, the highest grossing global tour of all time in music, not just because she's got a movie coming to theaters, but oh yeah, she started dating one of the most popular NFL football players in the world with Travis Kelsey. Well, Sunday Night Football leaned into that mightily the other night. When even in the pregame show, they were showing Taylor Swift in the box. And then they brought on the cast of The Voice just to teach Swifties who were watching their first NFL football game. I don't know if you guys saw this. <laughs> During the pre-show of the NFL Sunday night game, they brought in The Voice to say, for all you Swifties who are watching your first NFL game, here's the significance of this game. And, and explaining who Travis Kelsey is. And while I thought that was ridiculous, somebody then showed me the glut of online social media posts of, of all the Swifties saying, I'm watching my first NFL football game. Well, that wasn't even the main thing. Because every time Travis Kelsey would touch the ball, boom, camera goes up to the box with Taylor Swift. But here's the thing. Look at that picture. In that box with Taylor Swift are a lot of people, and I'm sure they're very fine and nice people. Now we can see the fool there. But a couple of them is Ryan fucking Reynolds... And Hugh Jackman, and they never even mentioned once in the Sunday Night Broadcast. And Sean Levy. We'll get to that in a sec, because I understand most people won't know who Sean Levy is. Most average viewers at home won't know who Sean Levy is. But you had 
arguably one of the biggest movie stars, well, two of the biggest movie stars in the world, and they never even once mentioned them. Not to mention Blake Lively was in there and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. (laughs) Ever since that happened, articles like this one have started popping up of like Taylor Swift celebrity guest sparks Deadpool 3 speculation. And there's a good image there. I've got Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds, all there. Now, remember, the rumors had already pre-existed that we were going to see Taylor Swift maybe in Deadpool 3. So Ryan Reynolds being there, okay, she's kind of besties with Blake Lively. Ryan and Blake live in New York. So, okay, that explains that. But then uh, Hugh Jackman's there too, uh, to which you can go, well, Ryan's there and Ryan and Hugh are kind of besties. And by the way, Hugh's got some more social free time because unfortunately and really sadly, the mar- the Hollywood marriage that I thought would last forever, him and his wife are separating, breaking up. So he's got some, he's got a free Sunday night. So, okay, Ryan's there, but we can explain that away. Hugh's there, so we can explain that away. But then Rob, as you pointed out, Deadpool 3 director Sean Levy was also there. So in that box, you had Taylor Swift with basically the entire core of Deadpool 3. Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, director Sean Levy, while rumors were already going around that Taylor was going to be in Deadpool 3. And Rob, listen, while this is not truly a confirmation of anything, a lot of people are saying, does this confirm this? It literally doesn't confirm it. But I think I have to do a 180 when I said I do not believe that the Taylor Swift being in Deadpool 3 rumors. This is hard to ignore. An image like this is hard to ignore. And if Sean Levy wasn't there, maybe I still wouldn't believe it. But with Sean Levy there with Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds, I I don't know how I can say I don't believe she's... I now believe it. I believe the rumor now. I don't know, Rob, what did you think of this? Okay, dude, I just want to tell you that the for me, the X-Men is the comic book equivalent of Star Trek. I love the X-Men. You might not believe this, but it was true. I was lining up my X-Men hardcover omnibuses this weekend and making sure everything is in order. (laughs) I I have almost all of the hardcovers from X-Men 1 through (laughs) X-Men 350 all lined up. I was reorganizing some stuff. Taylor Swift, and I'm not the first person to say this, there is a mutant. Yep. That Taylor Swift, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll bet. Bet it. One hundred percent. Okay. One hundred percent. I may have image that we are going to see Taylor Swift as Dazzler. Boom. That in 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 the X Men in 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 because first of all, never has an never has a woman who existed in life (laughs) should be an X Men more than she does. And what are we going to see? We are going to see Allison come out. We're going to see Dazzler come out. And we are going to have a monster musical number. And who is going to dance? Wolverine is going to dance. And so is we've got our song and dance, man. You know you love your song and dance. Greatest showman. And so is Ryan Reynolds. If they don't have a balls-to-the-wall explosive, I mean, I think Boss Logic has already done. There's already been fan art of Taylor Swift as Dazzler. And by the way, bring on that hot toy. I'll put up my, my six scale band with Prince and Freddie Mercury. will be backing her up. By the way, I, I got to bring this up. One of our great uh, YouTube channel members who's here, uh, Rampage Predacons in the live chat and asked a, 
I love you, Rampage. I love you. But that's a really stupid question. That's why is this a movie news topic? I don't know. What's probably going to be the only billion dollar film between now and forever. The one of the biggest film events of the upcoming few years. And one of the biggest pure stars in the world might be in the movie. I don't know why we possibly think this is a movie topic. I mean, come on, Rampage. I mean, how about a genre? Dude, I love Dazzler. I love her character. I love every, I mean, she's never actually had a definitive comic book series, really. I'll say yeah. that. But I, 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 give me the Bill Sinkevich looking Dazzler. I mean, bring it on. And by the way, this is a, if this doesn't happen, if they make her like Lady Deadpool, no, 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 no. <laughs> no Lady Deadpool. I want to see her as Dazzler, and so does the world, because it even it, Rampage, he just doesn't know it. Even Rampage Predacon, no, he wants to uh, Yeah, I'm telling it. you, make this happen. Uh, Kevin Feige, if there's one thing, I don't know who the uh, Avengers are. I do know that Taylor Swift is Dazzler. I know that. And you know what? So you so think does- she's not just going to be in Deadpool 3. You think there's a place for her in X-Men, period. Hell yes. Right here. He- I don't buy that. Hell I don't buy that. Hugh Jackman's yes. like, he's texting someone. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's going to be our Dazzler. She yeah, is texting. Yeah, like, yeah. yep, I'm confirming. I mean, I mean, look at Ryan Reynolds trying to play play coy in this picture. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, you any moron, but this is the problem. The sorry, way to, you gotta say, can you bring that picture back up? Yeah. Can you bring that? I'm sorry, I'm totally distracted. I don't know who it is. I need to find out. Oh, that shirt. But full respect to whoever's wearing the ultimate warrior shirt behind Taylor Swift there. That is awesome. Kudos to whoever's wearing that shirt. Okay, sorry. Please continue. I'm just, uh, you know what? I'm just all dazzled out. I think that I can't wait for this. It's very exciting. Now, I'm just saying, Man, I'm 100% convinced, John, that she's going to play Dazzler. And not only that, there's going to be a kick-ass, insane musical number. Crazy Because insane. after what he did to X-Force in Deadpool 2. Which was so great, by the way. I mean, the, and maybe it's just a universe that they fall into or whatever that they get to meet Dazzler. But if you don't do this, you're missing a monstrously great opportunity. Monstrously great. All or, right. Dare I say, a dazzling opportunity. I knew, well, I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. All right. Guys, with all that down, we are now going to move over and start taking questions from people like Rampage Predacon, who are our beloved YouTube channel members. We ask them every day to send in a bunch of topics and questions, and we get through as many as we can. But before we get to those, we're going to take just a quick second and thank one of the sponsors of today's video, Ryan Reynolds' own Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone. But now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills. Like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just $15 a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia 
And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campy Show podcast and for showing up in Taylor Swift's box at the Sunday night football game. All right. With that down, guys, let's get over to our YouTube channel. Remember, start getting their topics, shall we? Jonathan, what we got up first? Jay Superboy says, hey, John, what's a good horror film to watch during Halloween? Mine would be underrated Overlord with Wyatt Russell. Overlord was quite a good little movie. Yeah, it was. I liked it. I don't even, I don't think I would qualify it as a horror movie, though. I think it's more of a action genre. There are definitely horror elements. Listen, I'm not a huge horror movie guy, but my two <laughs> horror movies I always go back to are The Descent, which is, I think, just one of the pure, scariest movies ever, and also this Laserdisc of American <laughs> Werewolf in London that Robert Meyer Burnett gave me, by the way. American Werewolf in London is actually my all-time favorite horror film. This is the one I think you should go to. Rob, have you got one go-to Halloween movie? I do. I do, and it's a low-budget film, but everyone I've given it to agrees. The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Oh, I like that one. I yes. mean, Brian Cox, Emile Hirsch, truly spooky, truly terrifying, really scary, great use of pretty much a single location. It is a banger. You know what I'm doing this year? What? I'm going to watch this year? 30 Days of Night is going to be my Oh, Halloween that's movie. a good one. Just I because, love you know, 30 Days of Night. Seeing Josh Harnett and Oppenheimer. Do you know that's the very first movie I ever watched with Ann? It was 30 oh, Days oh, really? That was the first movie we ever watched together. I'm not watching it now. <laughs> All right, what's next? <laughs> Dr. Stinky says, hey, John and crew, got to go to the Manhattan Short Film Festival, and boy, it was fun, but I will say the theater was a piece of haunted garbage. The place looked like it was from 1890 and had the musk of a haunted place. So far, I'm liking this. Yeah. Uh, the room was about the size of a home theater for like 30 of us, and the seats were, uh, were those awful old non-reclinable, oh, come on, man. Film uh, Flimsy Seats. What's the worst movie theater you've ever been to? You know what? I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Maybe you guys will know. But last year... Dr. Stinky. It's a, it's a film. It's a theater in L.A. somewhere. And it's where I got invited to go to the screening of um, the Weird Al Yankovic movie. Uh, Was it a big with theater? Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. With Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very different <laughs> oh, movie. Oh, that would be a really different movie. You can do it. And it... I mean, from everything from a foyer that was like 15 feet by 15 feet, like this terrible little concession stand, seats were all torn. And I, I wish I could remember the name of the theater. It's it's some like classic art house kind of theater, but it was it was awful. I mean, it was an awful. I loved the movie, but it was awful. But yeah. I know, Rob, there's a lot of great theaters around L.A. You got any in, in town here that you really don't think are any good at all? As long as the projector has a bulb in it, I love all movie theaters. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever been to a, a bad, like not like that bad. I mean, I like the, the Vista Beyond Fest. It was a part of Beyond Fest. The That's Vista right. before it was remodeled was getting pretty shabby. Yeah. yeah. But, yes. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The theater we watched Thor in. We screened Thor in. Where was it? Paramount? That theater had the worst seats. It was one of the studios. I can't remember. Oh, it was Capitan. Was it the Capitan? No, no, no. It wasn't the El Capitan. Because but they have seats. bad seats. The El Capitan is a great theater that has really bad, tiny, Ter tiny terrible seats. seats. Dude, it it, it might have been that man. where we Maybe. saw Thor. All right. What's next? JCSC, October, the official month of horror, ghost schools, eldritch monsters, and slashers. So naturally, we must ask, what's your favorite food, uh, food movie? My that favorite food, food movie. movie. Well, listen, I mean, Ratatouille has to be right up there. Um, I know mine. Um, Chef is really, really good. Um, that's another good one. What do you, what, what, what do you think about Jonathan? Uh, big night. I always go to big night. I can't Which watch big, big night, night and not it. 
Okay, so it, it, they're the Italian brothers, Segundo and Primo. Right. It was with um, Stanley Tucci yeah. and, um, and um, oh gosh, who, uh, what, was the, what was the show he was on? He played a detective. Uh, not Stanley Tucci, but the other character. Um, he's, also, he, he's also in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He plays her father. Uh, Tony oh, the, Shalhoub. the guy from oh. um, Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, he's, Tony Shalhoub's a, a great Italian chef. And they have this huge night because they need to go all out to have this like writer who's in town. And, you know, if, if it goes all right, their, their restaurant will survive. It's a small story with a lot of heart, but it's just like if you're hungry, don't watch Big Night. All right. What's next? Um, it's The Bat writes, uh, watching the original Exorcist and Wednesday at, on Wednesday at Regal and Believer on Friday. Great start for October. Uh, just wish they were playing a Friday the 13th movie next week on Friday the 13th. Missed opportunity. Like, I, you know, somebody asked me before, uh, I think it was during one of my solo open mics or whatever, said, what does Friday the 13th have to do to get really big again? And I said, it's not possible. I, like, I'm, I'm sorry. Friday the 13th is a dead franchise. No one's going to go back to it. Like, it, it's never going to be big again. It's going to always be iconic. The name Friday the 13th, the name Jason, the hockey mask, it, those will always be iconic. They're never going to get people back in the theaters again. Not to the degree that it makes like $400 million in the movie theater. I just don't, I just don't see it happening. I am oddly really looking forward to the new Exorcist though. Every time I see a new trailer, I think this looks legitimately creepy. I love the little girls in it. Um, I'm actually very, very excited for this movie. Oddly enough, because I don't get super excited for a lot of movies. You, you don't look all that thrilled for the new Exorcist, John. Not since 2004 and Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead have I had have I felt as much dread and trepidation about a movie as I do about Exorcist Believer. The Exorcist is my favorite horror film of all time, and uh, I the fact that they're even daring to touch it and bringing back Chris McNeil and all of these things. And I, I and I'm somebody who liked the TVs. I thought the TV series, the first season with with uh, Gina Davis, was pretty good. Um. I, I, I'm going to go in with my arms folded and my face scowling <laughs> and say, but I over. will bring hope with me, John. I want it to be good. Yeah. I mean, look, I, a lot of these types of horror revisited kind of projects have not turned out well. Again, I love the first Jamie, um, well, the first uh, Halloween one they did in 2018. I really, really liked that, but then it went to garbage. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Oh, by the way, did you guys happen to see the, uh, the latest, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's uh, trailer. Yes. It actually looks way better than the last ones. They actually look really cool. I only bring that up because someone was asking, what are we going to watch on Halloween? It releases October 27th. That's an option for yeah, them. Here's the problem. No matter how good the trailers are, and I don't, I don't personally think the trailers have been great. No. They haven't been all that bad either. But here's the problem. When, Par when Peacock puts something in theaters and on Peacock day and date, that equals trash. That's just been the pattern. Yep. Now, unless they have pulled it from Peacock and said, no, it's just going to have an exclusive theatrical run. Maybe then I'll, I'll buy into it. But them doing it on Peacock and in theaters at the same time tells me that they don't believe in the movie. And if I've always said this, if you, the studio, if you don't believe in the movie, why should I believe in the movie? So, I mean, I'm going to see it. And I hope it's good. I've been wanting a Five Nights at Freddy's movie for a while, but I don't have a lot of hope for it. It's a good time to release it. Halloween. Yeah, it's the time to do it. All right, let's take a couple more. What's next? 
All right, CJ Rebirth writes, happy October. My question today is, what are your guys' thoughts on the MJ Thriller music video, which was directed by John Landis, uh, who did Werewolf in London? I have a quick story. It's December 2nd, 1983. Me, my family, and another family are in the woods of Big Bear in a cabin. Uh-oh. And Thriller debuts. <laughs> we watch the entire thing. It's now time for little Jonathan to retire to his bedroom upstairs in the dark second floor. I made it to the top of the stairs and I had to fall asleep in the hallway by the stairs until adults came up because I could not muster the courage <laughs> to enter my bedroom at night in the woods of Big Bear. I got to tell you, it's one of the greatest music videos of all time. Yep. Yeah. It is simply one of the greatest movie videos, uh, music videos of all time. Uh, I, it, it, it really it played like a movie. It had a, like a full story. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's great. It's, it's one of the first ones ever that they, I actually saw the making, they played a making of after or before. And I thought that was great too. That's, I think that was my, it first, was, and they released that on physical media. The first the bonus of. scene, first behind the scenes thing that I've ever watched in my whole life. It really was good. Cool. Yeah. All right. Last question of the day. What do we got up here? Finally. All right. Let me bring up our, our, uh, Members here as a thank you to you all as I read this final one from Mike Hudspeth. Hey, fam, y'all are the best studios today. Seem to want to create a franchise out of everything. Nintendo superheroes, horror icons, etc. My question for you today is if you could create a franchise MCU style out of anything, what would it be? Love y'all. Bring on the filthy. Well, I mean, look. The, the appeal of franchises is obvious. What The biggest challenge of making any movie successful, I'm not talking about making it quality, but I'm making it successful, making it market well, is brand awareness. Get it, making people aware of it. That's one of the big problems the creator faced. Like, people didn't know what to make of it, blah, blah, blah. It's not a recognizable thing. Having a franchise, whether it's a murder mystery franchise, whether it's a comic book movie franchise or whatever, that lets you start ahead of the game automatically because people know the property. Like, don't underestimate the importance of product awareness. That doesn't make the movie good, but it gives you a big step up. So, yeah, I mean, every studio, when they put out a movie, even if it's a fiercely small, independent art type of film, deep down the executives hope it really explodes and they can make another one and make a sequel out of it, right? Because success begets success. That's the hope. At any rate, however real it is, is up for debate. So that's why they like doing stuff like that and, and peering at that. What would I make a franchise out of? I mean, ultimately, that just comes down to the question of what movie would you make? Because you want this first movie to be great, and then that, then you can turn it into a franchise. I don't really know. I mean, I, I think just about everything with Shogun coming to FX... I think everything I'd ever really want to get made has been made. Now I can just sit back and see what other creative minds want to come up with. So I know, Rob, have you ever had a franchise in mind that you thought never been done? Well, I think the thing, like what he said, like the MCU, the thing is all those characters existed in pop culture in so many different forms throughout the years that it makes sense to turn something like that into a franchise. I don't, I can't think of something al along those lines that could be a franchise like the MCU. Mm. I mean, I, 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 that's, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, look, I, I, it, it'll never happen, but, and it wouldn't be really a franchise. I would love to see Calvin and Hobbes. 
Oh. I would love to see a Calvin and Hobbes. I, Bill Watterson has never allowed Calvin and Hobbes to be merchandised. Nope, not officially licensed. He, you know, I've got the big, huge Calvin and Hobbes book. I spent like, what, $400? I, I have it too. Yeah, yep. yeah, big book. And I'm like, so my favorite things, I don't know if they could ever do it. I don't even know how. And I don't even know if they should. <laughs> but I, I, that's something I could see could be at least multiple <laughs> movies. Calvin and Hobbes is simply, uh, to put it the way uh, they said it in uh, Newsroom, the period, best period, comic strip period ever. Period. It's it's simply the best comic strip ever. I, I just you just mentioning Calvin and Hobbes made me feel emotional. Like I, I love. Do you remember the very final one that Bill Waters did? The very final Calvin and Hobbes strip. It was perfect. If it was a movie franchise, it's the perfect ending. It ends with Calvin with Hobbes on the top of a snowy mountain looking out on the big world and they have a quick little banter and it ends with them jumping on the sled and starting to go down the hill and Calvin just saying, let's go exploring. And that's how Calvin. I'm and getting Hobbes, chills right now. Uh, yeah. Is. Look, look I, I'm getting goosebumps somewhere. And that's how Calvin and Hobbes end the period, best period, comic strip period ever period. There you it's, go. Oh, there it is. Yeah. If you go to the last it's a magical book, world, Hobbs, old buddy. Let's go exploring. Let's go exploring. That's it's, my philosophy of life right there. Maybe that's why I love this cartoon strip so much. And it's also, period, the best, the funniest comic strip I've ever read. Like, it's just, oh, my. Okay, sorry. We I could talk here all day and, about And did you Calvin see Hobbs. That, that Hobbs is saying it's like a big white strip of paper to draw on? Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. <sighs> and that's the thing. I mean, what was so great about what he, what he did was he said, I'm going to end this. And that's how it's going to be. It's going to only exist in this form. I'm not going to merchandise it. He gave nope, up never did. millions of dollars. And you know what? No one knows what he looks like. No one He's knows Banksy. what he looks like, which is kind yeah. of good. By the way, a little Banksy. bit of trivia. Uh, he named the two characters, Calvin and Hobbes, after uh, famous theologians. Two, two famous theologians. So just a little, little uh, throwback to my Bible college days. I, I learned that. Anyway, guys. That'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this whole show part of your day. By the way, guys, we're going to do another live stream a little bit later at 3.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So that's in about a little, little under three hours from now where we're going to do open mic. If you guys want to come on back and join me for that, I look forward to seeing you at that time. So I want to thank everybody in the room joining me. Ray Aura, Jonathan Voico, See ya. writer, director, <laughs> producer, Dazzler fan. Dazzler. Robert Meyer Burnett. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>